Uh, you could open your Bible uh, to Mark 4, and we'll be having our second Bible reading uh, for today. And we're going to be beginning at verse 35. But before we begin, I might pray, so please uh, pray with me. Gracious God, we uh, thank you for who you are, the sovereign King of all things. And we thank you for graciously revealing yourself to us in your word. Uh, as we consider it today, may you use it to grow us in our love and appreciation of your greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark 4, starting at verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, it'd be great if you could uh, keep your Bible open, and if you're a, um, a note taker, you'll find a, an outline in your handout that, that might be helpful as well. But one of the things that uh, Cassie and I love to do as, as pastimes is to watch documentaries. Now, uh, you know you're getting old when one of your hobbies are watching documentaries, but nevertheless, uh, that is what we like to do together. And one of the types of documentaries we like to watch are crime documentaries, uh, murder or mystery documentaries. Uh, we love to watch uh, stories that tell of interesting cases, particularly when there's a bit of disagreement or a bit of uncertainty about what exactly it was that happened. Uh, we've watched quite a few, a few of our favourites, particularly on Netflix, uh, Making a Murderer, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, there's D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? There's The Staircase, and there's heaps of other ones we've watched. And what I love to do as we're watching them is I love to try and figure out who actually did it. And regardless of what other people say, I like to try and figure out who is it that did. I like to listen to them, interview the different people. I like to see them weigh up all the different evidence. And then I like to come to my decision about uh, who the culprit was. And often I'll say to Cassie as we're watching, I think I would have made a good policeman. Now, I don't know whether I actually would have or not, but that's part of the fun of watching these kinds of shows. To feel like you've solved the mystery. And today we're starting our new sermon series, How Could You Believe That? And our first topic is, how could you believe that a man could be God? And really, I think this is the ultimate mystery. As big as the mysteries might be in uh, things like making a murderer or the staircase, this trumps them all. This mystery that says God could become man. It's such an incredible claim that the eternal, infinite, almighty God became a baby, born of a woman, nursing at his mother's breast. But the question, the mystery of course, is how do we know whether it's true or not? How do we know whether this actually happens? And that's exactly the question though that we need, to, we need to be able to answer. See, we need to be able to solve this mystery because I'd put to you that it's actually the most important question, the most important mystery to solve in all of life. Far more important than figuring out whether the guy on the staircase killed his wife or figuring out where D.B. Cooper is now. In a sense, that doesn't matter at all. In a sense, who cares? But with this, it matters so much. 
Why? Well, because this is what Christianity hinges on. If God did not become a man, if Jesus is not God, then Christianity isn't true. It's as simple as that. You are wasting your time here today if Jesus isn't God. Don't bother with the Bible. Don't bother with church. Don't bother with anything, Christian, with anything Christian if Jesus is not God. But if Jesus did become a man, if, sorry, if God did become a man in Jesus, then Christianity must be true. See, you have to believe it if God became a man. You have no other choice because this is God come into the world with a specific message for you. And so then the question is, well, how will we know? How will we crack the case? How will we solve this incredible mystery? Well, in a sense, it's by doing what we do for any mystery, by following the evidence, by listening to the eyewitness testimonies. And so today we're going to hear from five different eyewitness testimonies. And the first eyewitness you always start with in any case is the prime suspect, the person themselves, the primary witness. And so that's where we will start with Jesus. And when you start spend any time looking at his personal testimony, what he says about himself, it's so, so clear that Jesus claims to be God. He does it time and time and time again. In John 10, Jesus is talking about God, who he calls my father, and this is what he says. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. See, it's so clear what Jesus is saying about himself. He's saying that he is equal, he is one with the father, with God. And we see something similar in Mark 8, uh, where Jesus claims to be the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man was a divinic uh, figure, divine figure in the Old Testament. And all Jews who heard it knew that. They knew that the Son of Man was a divine figure. And this is uh, basically a conversation that goes on between Jesus and his disciples, and it culminates in this. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. See, Jesus here refers to himself as the Son of Man, this figure who is divine. And so again, it's so clear, Jesus is saying that he is God. And I could go on, there's passage after passage after passage in the Bible where Jesus claims to be God. And so what that means is, you can't take an honest look at what Jesus says about himself without coming to the realisation that Jesus is claiming to be God. And I think that's backed up by our second eyewitness, the enemies of Jesus, because they also understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. And the main reason, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, the main reason they hated Jesus was exactly that because he was claiming to be God, and they didn't like that. Uh, in John 10, uh, this is what, what we read, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Oh, what about this? Uh, this is John 5. For this reason, the Pharisees tried all the more to kill him. 
Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. See, anyone who saw Jesus, anyone who heard Jesus speak, realized that he was claiming to be God. I mean, you simply can't miss it. It's time and time and time again, he claims to be God. And so the question isn't really, did Jesus claim to be God? The question is, was he actually God? Is he telling the truth? Or is he just a crazy person? Or is he a liar? See, really, that's the mystery we need to solve. And to answer that, we now turn to our third eyewitness, nature. Now, when I started working on this sermon and thinking about how to go about answering this question, I actually had a lot of difficulty picking what passage to do, not because there's no good passages, but because there's too many good passages. There's so many passages we could look at. There's so many different witnesses to who Jesus is. Uh, Evil spirits know that he's God. Sickness knows that he's God. Even death knows that he's God. We heard it in the great kids talk before, seven different witnesses Faye told us about. Uh, But we're not going to look at any of them. Instead, we're going to look at Mark 4, our passage we just heard read out before, which is a story where nature itself bears incredible eyewitness testimony that Jesus is God. Uh, So we'll have a look at it then. So, So flip your Bible open to Mark 4. And Jesus has just been teaching beside a lake. And there were so many people who had come to see him that they get a, basically Jesus and his disciples get a boat for Jesus to go on to stop the people from kind of crushing in around him. Then as the day draws near to an end, he and his disciples use that boat that Jesus was in teaching to go over to the other side of the lake. And as they do, a storm comes. So have a look at verse 37. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, uh, the Greek word for that term there, furious squall, is actually whirlwind. Uh, That's that's the the literal translation of it. So this isn't a gentle kind of summer storm, a summer breeze, a light sprinkling. This is a dangerous and deadly storm. And it hits them hard. So hard that they're nearly swamped. Again, the same as with that term, furious squall, uh, the, the literal translation is actually stronger than what the NIV translates it for, nearly swamped. Actually, the literal translation is, the boat was already filling. The boat was already filling. They're already taking on water. They're in dire straits. This is a life and death situation. In fact, the storm is so bad that the disciples are scared. And remember, many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. These are tough men who are used to being on the water, who are used to being in storms who are used to this kind of thing. And yet, the storm is so dangerous that they're fearing for their lives. But not so Jesus. While the disciples are near panic, thinking they're about to die, what's Jesus doing? Well, he's sleeping. Uh, Did you see that? Have a look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I mean, talk about being able to sleep anywhere. I was talking to uh, one of the young ladies at our church recently, and she was telling me about some of her training for the military. And she was saying about how she, she's developed the ability to sleep anywhere. She was telling me she, one time she was in the back of a bumpy army truck going down a muddy, dirty road with all of the heavy army gear on and a gun over her legs, and she was sleeping. And I, was quite, uh, I was quite impressed by that. But what Jesus does here is even more incredible. This takes it to a whole new level. This is a storm so deadly 
that it has seasoned fishermen quaking in their boots. And yet, he's simply sleeping. So the question is, well, how and why? How is he able to do that? What's well, the behavior of someone who is supremely confident, who knows that they are in no danger at all? See, Jesus, knows, Jesus is able to sleep here because he knows that he is the one in charge. And we see that as the disciples come to him. Have a look at verse 38 and 39. The disciples woke him, woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. See, Jesus just tells, stands up and simply speaks at the storm and it listens. Now, the Greek word he used is epitamao. And that uh, that's, translates literally as scolding or rebuking. It's kind of what you might do if you had a naughty dog and the dog starts chewing on the furniture or something. What do you do? Well, you say, stop it. You kind of rebuke the dog. You tell it off. It's, it's a word that describes someone who's in complete power over something else, telling it off. And Jesus here is the one that's completely in charge. And he simply rebukes. He simply speaks at such a powerful entity, at nature, at a storm. And it obeys I think here we see that powerful testimony, the powerful eyewitness that Jesus is God. Because as Aussies, we know how crazy this is. We know how powerful nature is. I think about the floods in New South Wales and Queensland earlier this year. There's a few photos of it. It was terrible, terrible forces of nature. Whole towns almost washed away. Water that swept there so quickly and so powerfully, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people displaced by the crushing tide of water. Or what about the bushfires from a few years ago, 2019, 2020? Uh, the images look like something out of an apocalypse movie. They look like a, a hellscape on earth. Whole towns burn to the ground, temperatures so hot that metal would melt Sadly, 34 people killed. And we know all too well the unstoppable power of nature. And we can't tell floods to go away. We can't tell fires to stop burning. Imagine if someone had to try to do that as those fires. They'd have stood in front of the fires and they say, fires, go away. I mean, if someone had have done that, we would have thought they were crazy. We would have thought, you can't do that. You can't rebuke nature. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus does here. He simply speaks and it obeys. He tells it off much as a parent might tell off a naughty child. And did you notice how instantly it obeys? There's no kind of slow sub subsiding of the winds. There's no slow lessening of the waves. It instantly becomes completely calm. See, this is the power that Jesus has Power over even the forces of nature. Power that no normal person has. And he's such a powerful testimony. Because it's one thing for Jesus to claim to be God. And for those hearing him to understand that he was claiming to be God. But it's a completely different thing for nature to bear witness that this is God. And so we have to ask when we see that, well, who is this? Who can do something like that? And that's certainly the question that the disciples wonder. And as they do, they're terrified. 
because they realize they're in the presence of someone different. Have a look at verses 40 and 41. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, they're terrified because they know this is no normal person, because no normal person can do that. See, this incredible testimony of nature forces them to ask that question. And I think as they ask that question, there's another witness that they would be thinking back to. Because that brings us to our fourth eyewitness, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. Men that lived a thousand years before Jesus and yet predicted so accurately what he would do. Because as the disciples asked the question, I'm sure their minds were going back to our first Bible reading from today that Amanda read for us, Psalm 107. Uh, That's a psalm I suspect they would have been quite familiar with. Remember, uh, many of the Jews in these times had memorized huge parts of the Old Testament. They used to recite the psalms often together when they met. And so I think they'd be quite familiar with Psalm 107. But I I suspect that we're not. So it's worth a flip over with me. Uh, Flip with me to Psalm 107. It's quite an incredible passage to see the testimony of the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament. So I'm going to read it out, and as I do, I'll put it up on the screen as well. Um, As I do, just reflect on how similar this is to the events of Mark 4. So starting at verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when they grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Do you see how similar that is to Mark 4? It's incredible, isn't it? The waves are there and yet the Lord calms them. But what's amazing about that, what's amazing about the term the Lord there, in Hebrew, that's Yahweh, that's God. This is not talking about a person that does that, this is God that does that. Because as we know, only God can calm nature. Only God is in control of nature. And yet, what happens here? Well, Jesus does that. And again, it's an incredible witness that these Old Testament prophets, a thousand years before it happened, so accurately predicted, this is what God will come and do. And yet here, God comes in the form of a man. And so that's why the disciples ask the question, well, who's able to do this? Who is this man? Because they know only God can do that. And in a sense, that's the exact question that we need to answer. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? That he can do something like that. And then we come to our final witness, eyewitness five, God. And he's perhaps the most compelling witness there is because he's the one that Jesus is claiming to be. And so if anyone has the right to be angry, at someone falsely impersonating them, falsely claiming to be them, it's God, it's the victim. Uh, We've just heard over the last few days about the the data leak from Optus. 
Uh, some ha hackers got into their, their data and they've stolen lots of personal information about people and there's fears that they'll try and use that data, these hackers, for uh, identity theft. And imagine if that is what they did. Or imagine if someone did that to you. They hacked all of your email accounts, your mobile, they hacked your bank accounts, they had fake IDs made, and they even broke into your house while you were out and they had all the locks changed. And then they went around telling people that they were you. If someone did that, how would you feel? Well, of course you'd be furious. They're not you, how dare they try and steal your identity? How, how dare they try and claim to be you? And if Jesus is falsely claiming to be God, then that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to steal God's identity. And God would be rightly angry about that. And so if we're going to solve this mystery, then ultimately we need to hear from God, the one that Jesus is claiming to be. And so then what does God say about Jesus? We're in Mark 1 at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus gets baptized. And as he's coming up out of the water, God speaks from heaven. And this is what he says, Mark 8. Uh, sorry, that should say Mark 1. Mark 1, 9, 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God speaks, and he speaks of his love for Jesus. And he calls Jesus his son. Now, you don't call someone your son. You don't speak of your love for someone if they are falsely trying to steal your identity, if they're trying to do identity theft. Of course not. And it shows us God is on board with this. But actually, God speaks even more clearly about it. In Hebrews 1, God is again speaking about Jesus, and this time he specifically refers to Jesus as God. This is Hebrews 1, 8 to 9. But about the son, God says... Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. See, speaking about Jesus, God specifically refers to him as God. It's amazing. So what's God's testimony about Jesus? Well, that he is God. He agrees. Uh, now, of course, this is where the doctrine of the Trinity comes in. Uh, we don't have time to kind of explore it in all the depths that, that would be good to. Uh, if you'd like to read more about it, there's lots of good books you can read. Uh, can I recommend uh, this one here? So this is Calvin's Institutes. Uh, so John Calvin, really famous theologian, he spends a good portion of this book talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's one worth uh, reading and thinking about more. But, but in short, the Bible does teach there is one God. There's not multiple gods, there's one God, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All are equally God, there's only one God. And it is hard for us to get our heads around exactly how that works, exactly what that looks like, but somehow God the Father and Jesus Christ are both equally God. And that certainly seems to be God's testimony here as he calls Jesus God. And as compelling as the other testimonies are, I think this one caps it off. For God himself to declare that Jesus is God just simply can't be avoided. It's extremely persuasive. 
And so that's our eyewitness testimonies. Uh, if we want to solve the mystery, then we need to go to the sources, those who were there, those who saw everything, and that's what we've done. And as we have, we've seen that Jesus clearly claims to be God. We've seen that his enemies understood that he was claiming to be God. We've seen that nature itself bore witness to these claims and that the prophets of old predicted a thousand years before it happened that this is what would happen. And then perhaps most compelling of all, we've seen that God himself bore witness that Jesus is God, that a man could be God. And so then that uh, brings us back to the question the disciples ask, who is this man that nature and prophets and God himself declare to be God? Really, that's the question we have to answer. Uh, You've heard five different testimonies today. The evidence is clear, and so what are you going to do with it? Because the reality is you have to do something. You can't do nothing. Because that's the way solving mysteries go. When you solve a mystery, when you hear the evidence, you have to make a decision. See, if I could truly solve who did the murder in making a murderer, then I have to act. Because otherwise, a guilty man sits in jail, or an innocent man walks, a guilty man walks free, or an innocent man sits in jail. See, I have to act. And in this case, it's even more important that we act. Because this isn't just about a crime, this is about the eternal king and maker of all things. See, if the answer is that it's all made up and Jesus is just a normal man, then abandon Christianity. Don't waste your time. Are you wasting your time sitting here today? You're wasting your time reading your Bible. You're wasting your time going to growth groups throughout the week. You're wasting your money giving to church. See, if Jesus is not God, then Christianity has nothing to offer you. It's all built on lies and you should have nothing to do with it. But if this is true, if Jesus is really God, then ignoring Jesus means ignoring God. What a terrible mistake to make. See, people often have the mantra, well, that's good for you, but it's not for me. You can believe something if you want, but it's not for me. But you see how we actually can't do that here. See, these powerful testimonies about Jesus do not allow us to do that. They force us to figure things out. Because if God has come down into the world, if the one who formed the stars in the sky, the oceans in the sea, the sun and the moon and the plants and the animals, the one who formed you, if that one has come down into the earth, into the world, then you must find out why. Why did Jesus come? Oh, it was to save us. He didn't come to give us an example. I want a needless thing for God to do, to come from heaven to give us an example. He didn't come to give us nice moral teaching. No, Jesus came down to earth to save us, to save me and to save you from all of the selfish and thoughtless and wicked things we've done. Why was that vital? Well, because for us to be represented by someone, it has to actually be a man, a person. See, an an animal can't speak for us as humans. We can't have a goose represent us. We can't have a donkey represent us. It has to be a man that represents us. So if it was just God who came down as God, then he can't save us. For God to speak for us, 
for God to save us. He must be a man. But of course, only God can take the punishment and survive. Only God can pay such a high price. And so if it was only a man who attempted to pay the price for us, then he can't pay the price. He can't bear the weight of punishment. And so that's why God had to come as a man, as a man to speak for us, but as God to pay the price for us. See, the whole point of God coming down as a man was to save us by dying for us. Now, do you know how, ma- how much of the Gospels are focused on Jesus' death? A third of what's called the synoptic Gospels, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and up to half of John's Gospel are focused on the final week of Jesus' life. So a third of the synoptic Gospels, one week, Half of John's gospel, one week, the final week of Jesus' life. Why? Well, because that was the whole point of God coming down as a man. The whole point was for him to come and to die and to rise again. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. See, it is a tremendous mystery to solve that God came down as a man for us. But the evidence is so clear. Today we've heard five different eyewitness testimonies. So the question must be, what are you going to do with the evidence that is before you? What is your answer to the mystery? I'm going to pray, please um, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you came down in him uh, for our sake. Uh, We do confess, we find this uh, pretty difficult to wrap our heads around, that God, you, the eternal, almighty King of all things, might come down as a man. Uh, Would you help us to understand, would you help us to listen to the eyewitnesses, to the testimonies, to the evidence? Uh, Would you help us to to see that this this is the reality of things, no matter how unusual they might seem? And we thank you that that's how much you love us, that you love us so much uh, that you are willing to come down to die in our place, that we might be saved. I said, would you uh, would you fill our hearts with joy at the wonderful news of the gospel? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.